Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, here we are. We're live barely from Minnesota on the banks of the Mississippi River. Um, I want to say thanks right now to Don for rushing in. Jake, our normal board operator, it was very ill this morning and didn't get in, and Don rushed in. So we're going to work through this. I think we're going to be okay. But um, it's going to be a fun ride. we got a lot to cover. We're going to talk a lot of fishing today. We're going to talk We're going to talk some comfort and survival. There's been some hypothermia cases that I want to touch on later on the show myself. We might have to run some... Uh, some things on Facebook on that from my articles from the Denver Post because that's changing time of the year that tends to affect people. And you should follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. There's some really good bites going on fishing-wise. Things are changing. We're going to be heading into the fall fishing, which can be some of the best fishing of the year, and all kinds of hunting going on. So we got a lot to cover. So let's go to the phones. And joining us, one of our favorite guests, Brad Peterson. Morning, morning, Brad. How are you doing? I I didn't know if I'd get to talk to you this morning. Don rushed into the studio and barely got there, like when my open was playing. So he's a trooper for us this morning. That he is. It's it's good when you have people that can come in and kind of uh, save the day there. Yeah, well, well, I think we're going to get through this okay. But, you know, the reason I wanted to start with you, we've talked off and on this summer about some of the different... Uh, different bites that have happened and haven't happened this year, especially in the Northeast and some of the Northern lakes. It's been a little, uh, it's been a little different kind of year, but, and we'll touch on some of that as we get into it. And I also want to talk to you about the upcoming, upcoming, some upcoming hunting. I think we'll almost every segment today is going to be split a little bit with some hunting and some fishing, but the white bass at Boyd are starting to go. You called me during the week and that's one of my favorite bites when it gets going. Tell me about it. Yeah, Terry, it's it's finally kind of coming together to where it seems like things are getting a little bit more normal. And and by that, for the white bass, you know, we've had off and on surface activity going on since, oh, early July. But it's right now what we've got is when you get the calm, flat mornings or evening, you have that surface activity, but you've got the white bass really schooled up down deep. So during the middle of the day, you can, or, you know, anytime you can get on them using spoons and jigging wraps. And when you find the school, those active white bass, it is just nonstop action. Yeah, it really is. In fact, I have a YouTube video when they're up on surface like that. But right now, they're they're not busting the surface uh, uh, as much as you're finding them and getting them below subsurface, right? Yeah, the, the surface stuff is really a lot more hit or miss so i'd like to have a rod ready for it because as you know when it happens it's great but the the deeper bite is a lot better and with that you can use your electronics and really find those fish you can find schools of fish early and late in the day they're a little bit more associated towards the bottom and then in the middle of the day you're seeing a little bit of a suspended bite going on and you can pitch crankbaits or or jigs with like twisters and get into them there. But I tell you what, if you can find those deeper schools of fish, 
it can be, you know, I was out there on Tuesday, and my first eight casts, I had eight fish on. So when you find them, the action is just nonstop. Yeah, and I love it. Any size to them. Now, the white bass are a panfish-sized fish. They can get up to 18, 19 inches, but typically you're talking maybe 10 to 15 inches. Is that kind of the size you're seeing? Yeah, you know, there's a real good spawn a couple of years ago, so there's a lot of those kind of six to eight inches in the lake right now. But when you get into those schools, and I'm using the forward-facing sonar, and, and I just have a hummingbird, so it's, it's the mega live, and you're able to kind of see those schools, and the real big schools seem to be the little bit more of that, you know, six to eight, maybe nine-inch fish. But when you start seeing a few of those more isolated groups or smaller groups of five fish or less, those are going to be your bigger fish that are running, you know, kind of that 10 to 14 inch range right now. And one thing that's been real interesting with that forward facing sonar is when you get a a white bass on, especially if it's kind of slowed down just a little bit, reel that fish up real slow, that first one. And it is amazing how when that fish is coming in, how that attracts all the other fish in the area. And you can go from having, you know, three or four fish on your screen to having well over 30 just by slowly reeling that fish in and it kind of attracts them right to the area that you're fishing. So that is one tip I'd tell people to try. You know, it's amazing what we're learning. It's some of the stuff we know and we're just confirming it. And some things we're learning because of the front facing sonar. It's, really not only changing some of the way we fish, but it's changing our understanding of the fish, and we're able to relate that to other people. Like, we've always suspected, like with perch and white bass, that one fish struggling will attract others. It can create a a feeding frenzy, but now you've confirmed that with your electronics. That's got to be kind of a neat neat view. It is. You know, it's... um this is my first year using it, and there have been several instances that I've gotten onto stuff that has been real educational. And the white bass bite, the last you know two weeks that it's kind of been going on, has just been really, really educational. Seeing how they react to um, different jig strokes or different, uh, you know, you change up different sizes or colors, and you can see how you you kind of hit the right button. And everything goes crazy. And if you're off just a little bit, those fish will come up and look, and they'll just kind of turn back around. And it it really it gives me the confidence to change lures faster. Whereas I used to be one that I would, you know, have a, a tried and true lure that I had a lot of faith in, and I may stick with it longer than I should. But if you watch fish come up and give you a denial, and, and we always did this ice fishing with with flashers, you could see that happening but you never really saw that as much in the open water situation. And, and seeing that and convincing you that you need to change either color, size, a little bit of the presentation uh, is incredibly educational. Uh, it really is. And we're going to see a lot more of that happening. Um, if somebody's out there without the, the live view sonar, can they find these fish on their normal down view sonar and still be successful? Yes. Uh, the, the, uh, the suspended schools having either live or side scan is going to be advantageous to you because you're able to just see a, a wider area, but the deeper schools of fish, your traditional 2d sonar is, you know, is enough to find the fish. 
and if you find a good area and you lose the fish, then just, you know, pick up your anchor or, or pull yourself off the spot lock, kind of cruise around until you see another good group of fish and then stop right there and, and fish that area. So you have to do a little bit more moving just to find the fish with your traditional 2D, but you can catch a ton of fish with just traditional electronics. How's the water level holding up at Boyd Lake? You know, it's, um, Boyd struggled this year with water. It, it never got full. We're down about 14 feet right now, and it's still dropping. Uh, they, they had said they were going to stop pumping, but they were pumping a little bit more out this week, and we still have warm weather, and we've got some evaporative loss. So I think we're going to, we'll probably end up being close to that 16 foot down going into the the cooler temperatures in the winter and that is as low as it got last year in may and june before water came in was 16 feet low just for people who've been out there it's kind of a reference point um so it's it's really pulled those fish there's not as much of that um weed cover that grew up because the lake was lower so it's making that those fish roam a little bit more and that's i think why you're getting into those uh, deeper um white bass right now is they're out there roaming looking for the bait fish all right and but boat launching is not an issue right now not an issue at all there's there's plenty of water there they still have the dock in um if you are a someone who does jet skis or any sort of that stuff and you're used to using the north ramp that is closed but they're just having you launch at the traditional ramp right there by the marina plenty of water there and i don't foresee that being a problem at all the rest of the season any other uh, fishing activity or you've been just concentrating on the white bass you seeing walleyes or largemouth at all you know the the largemouth are they're a little hit or miss there's a little bit of a shallow water bite kind of starting if you can find some weeds up in that uh the few weeds that are up there in that kind of two to four foot range in the evenings, those fish are pushing up into that, and so you have a chance on some topwater, uh, you know, buzz baits, weedless frogs, stuff like that, or swim baits running through there. And the walleyes, the walleyes have been, you know, a little bit spotty. Uh, there's a few still getting caught on bottom mouncers, but they haven't really started going on on the the spooning jigging rat bite. So if I was going to be out there chasing walleyes, I think I would go to the trolling setup. And I probably would be out there during the daytime. I'd be running lead core or snap weights and getting out deeper. There's a bunch of fish down about 30 feet in the basin. And I would be, you know, working my way through that. And then as the the sun goes down, there are some fish that are moving up shallow uh, with the temperature starting to drop. So don't overlook that nighttime stick bait bite, you know, in that eight foot or less of water to catch some pretty good walleyes. All right, let's switch gears here just a minute and uh, talk a little hunting. You are our waterfall expert. Let's start there. Uh, teal season is going to be coming up real quick. What do I need to be doing to get ready? You know, with teal hunting, one of the biggest things to do is to spend a little time out scouting and find those shallow water uh, ponds that have filled up from the rainstorms we've been getting the last few weeks. I know there's some that have happened out in the grasslands. There's some other state wildlife areas that have water rights, and they're going to start filling here real soon. But teal really like that knee-deep or shallower water. So if you can find those ponds, 
Um, those are going to be the best thing. But with Dove Opener happening, you know, coming up this week, I would tell people if you're going to go out dove hunting, you know, keep your eyes open to look for teal and to look for those ponds because they're already starting to move. You know, you're starting to hear of some blue wings being seen down in Texas and Louisiana. So there's been some cold weather up north, and those birds are starting to move. So we're going to see some birds in here for sure by uh, dove opener just to keep your eyes open, and maybe you'll find a little secret honey hole that might be one of the best spots to be at. And then, you know, a little bit of practice shooting, and and I think that that's important both for teal and doves. Both of those are uh, uh, aerial acrobats at times and can be challenging to hit. So if you go spend a little time out at one of the ranges and uh, maybe put in 25 or 50 rounds of clays that um, you can uh, definitely improve your chances for both those birds. All right. You know, one of the things we better remind people, though, is if you're going to do some teal hunting and it's even dove small game, you need a hip number and then you'll need a stamp for the teal. Yep. You'll need your state and federal waterfowl stamp for the teal and you need your hip number for all small game. And so that includes the uh, the waterfowl as well. It's real simple now that they allow you to do it online. I think that's the quickest way to do it. But if not, there's still a a call-in number that you can answer on the phone. So get those early because uh, the last thing you want to do is be out there opening morning and realize you don't have the number and you're waiting on hold on the telephone trying to uh, to get that number before you can start hunting. Yeah, it's pretty – Yeah, it, it's, it's an exciting time. I mean, the fall fishing should just get better. The hunting's going to take off. The other thing with fishing is, you know, being an avid at both of them, that a lot of this great fishing is also uncrowded because a lot of your fishermen, your hardcore anglers, are also hardcore hunting enthusiasts, and they're going to be out in the field either scouting or hunting. It's going to be a lot less crowded on the water, and you're going to end then school starts, sporting games, football starts. So you're going to have a lot of more water to yourself, and it can really be a great time. Uh... If people want to get a hold of you, Brad, how do they find you? Uh, you can look me up at Brad Peterson Outdoors on Facebook or give me a call at 303-829-3998. We do have a few openings coming up this week, so if you want to get out on uh, on some of that white bass action, definitely give me a holler uh, here soon, and, and we can get you out and catch a bunch of those fish. All right, my friend, thank you for calling in, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. I'm in Minnesota, but when I get back, we need to go chase those white bass together. Yes, we do, Terry. All right, thanks, Brad. All right, that was Brad uh, Brad Peterson. And I tell you what, we're going to take a time out here in a minute, but before we do, I want to remind you that the uh, white bass he's talking about in Boyd, if you go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, we caught that during a surface action several years ago, and it was virtually a fish on every cast. You might want to go to our, our YouTube channel and take a look at that white bass on Boyd because it's just something you'll want to take advantage of. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, Darby Shanks from Jackson Lake will join us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And uh, we kind of rushed into the first segment. Uh, we had uh, somebody calling sick, and Don rushed into the show to save our day today. So thanks to him again. But we are broadcasting from the banks of the Mississippi River in Minnesota. 
And I want to thank you who've been following. You know, Karen and I have spent a lot of time in Minnesota this summer. It's our old stomping grounds. And the folks that have followed us on Facebook and enjoyed the trip with us, thank you. But we'll be back in Colorado the middle of this week, and we're going to fish the waters there because there's lots of great outdoors right in Colorado. And speaking of that, let's go to Jackson Lake where we're joined by Darby Shanks. Good morning, Darby. Good morning. How are you? I mean, you know, I was thinking about you uh, last night because we were looking at the sky and how bright the stars are here out in the wilderness. And you offer some pretty neat stuff as far as that goes right there at Jackson Lake, don't you? We do, especially when the clouds clouds are gone and we have clear sky. Yeah, it's pretty good. We'll talk about that in a minute. For people that don't know, let's. why don't you tell them where Jackson Lake is located? Well, we're about located, I would say, roughly about an hour outside of Denver um, off the Interstate 76 corridor. Um, when you get out to the Wiggins area around the exit 66, we're going to be about nine miles north of there. Um, kind of sit off the river a little bit because we are fed by the South Platte River. Yeah, and it's a beautiful, it's a warm, shallow lake that offers so much recreation. Now, unfortunately, the boat ramps have closed for the year because of the water that's been drawn down. But that means you have this beautiful beach there, don't you? We do. We have a lot of beach area. I would say roughly, you know, from where it normally sits, you're at least 75 yards, probably a little bit more because they have started to pull. Um, They did pull a little harder in the beginning of the week. They have slowed it down. But again, our, our water is used for irrigation. They have the water rights, so we get to enjoy it when we do with our recreational rights. So, but yeah, a lot of people are still able to uh, go enjoy it. There's, you know, you can still paddle board and canoe. So we're just not allowing any kind of motorized boating right now. So that even includes those electric motors. Can't have them. So yeah, yeah well, but a lot of people have been out there and enjoying the the water because it's still up there about 80 degrees on the surface. So. Oh, yeah, that's just it. It's such a warm lake. It's still been warm in the area. And if I remember right, because I used to actually camp out there myself years ago, and it's such a great place to take kids because you can. it gets deep so slowly that you can take kids on that beach, and they got so much room to play without really getting into deep water, and it's, it's sandy. In fact, I think at one time you were voted, like, in the top ten beaches at state parks in the country or something. Yeah, we were, I, well, two different years, I believe. And I don't remember the organizations. One was through the Reserve America. I think we we're in the top 10 or 15. And the other one was um, the top, I think, 10. So, yeah. And we're still known for our good beaches because, you know, you're not going to kind of find this kind of sand anywhere. But just a, just a heads up for some people, when it gets drawn down a little farther, not quite yet, it will start becoming muddy. But right now we still have plenty of nice good sand for that beach area. And, of course, you have a lot of uh, camping availability there, too, don't you? We do. We have about 251 sites. Um, 233 are the individual sites, of course. And we still recommend making those reservations because we're still filling up on the weekend, um, especially all the way through, I would say, probably mid-September because people are just kind of kind of watching that weather right now. So, um, but still, still a good time. Well, another thing, I think people think of camping out in the east, and they think of flat prairie, but there's a lot of trees at, at Jackson Lake. There is. There's. I mean, we're kind of surrounded a little bit by cottonwoods, especially in about three of our campgrounds, and then um, we are still removing some of that Russian olive uh, tree um, or weed, whatever you want to call it, um, that's invasive. So, But we are coming back and then planting some other different trees that are supposed to 
be native to the area and that helps drive as well. Well, you got some things coming up. Let's talk a little bit while we still have time. One of the big deals, I opened the segment by saying I was looking at the stars here in Minnesota because we're away from the city lights right now. And if people have never gone out and enjoyed a dark sky area, which Jackson Lake is, it's phenomenal. And you have an event coming up with that, right? We do. We are an accredited dark sky park, state park, actually, and the first one here in Colorado. Um, so, yeah, we have a this astronomical um, group coming out from the Fort Collins area. They're going to be bringing their own telescopes, um, probably about five to seven of them. And we also have one for the park. We don't rent it out, but when we do programs like this, we'll bring it out and anybody can look through them for free. The only thing that you have to pay is to come into the park. Um, and, but other than that, you'll come to the, it's happening tonight at uh, Northview 241. Um, there's extra parking there in that campground. And um, yeah, they'll, they're the experts for sure. And they'll, they'll be guiding you through the sky all night long. So. And, you know, when you look up on a dark sky area and you almost can't tell where the constellations are because there's so many stars. It's just it's just so impressive to me how it goes on forever and what it looks like. Um, And people just need to come and take advantage of that. So that's tonight. Hopefully you'll have clear skies. You know, people get out with your paddle boards, get out with your your kayaks, do some do some just boating, swimming, and fishing, and camping. It's just close to the metro area. It's a great recreation place. And we talked the last uh, segment about some hunting. I would think you probably have some access either close by or in the park for teal and dove, too. We do. Um, It's right around the corner for sure. Um, For the hunting in the park, you won't be able to hunt until the day after Labor Day or heads up for people. But, yes, we do have the Jackson Lake Wildlife Area and also the Andrake Wildlife Area that are both adjacent to the park. Just remember on Andrick, you do have to have reservations and limited hunting only on weekends and Wednesdays and legal holidays. And then over on that Jackson Lake Wildlife Area, I haven't heard yet if they've started filling those ponds yet or not. Um, Andrick, probably the ponds won't be filled. Um, that's an augmentation water, so they're kind of the last to fill on that. So with with us not having Mother Nature bless us too much out here, they have been pulling water from all the reservoirs out here. So, but on the Jackson Lake Wildlife Area, just remember they did change that over a year ago. They are requiring reservations on weekends, but it is open seven days a week. So, okay. Last thing, I know we're going to talk more about this in a while, but people need to mark their calendar because you have an event coming up that's one of my favorites out there, and that's your cook, your chili cook off and your your um, cast iron cooking. Tell me about that real quick. Sure, yeah, it's slated for September 24th on a Saturday, and there's about seven different categories that everything will have to be cooked in some kind of cast iron slash Dutch oven, Um, even that chili category. That changed last year, so everybody has enjoyed it. Um, We still have a few spots available if anybody wants to partake in that as a participant. There's nothing to, there's no charge to enter. Um, but you do still have to pay for all the fees that coming into the park and if you decide to camp as well. But just reach out to me at the state park. Um, you can call the office um, at 970-645-2551 and just ask for myself, and I will get back to you if I'm not in the office. And I would assume there's information on the website and Facebook page? There's a little bit. Um, we probably have some of the programs. You'll have to search a little bit, but, yes, it is definitely located on the Facebook right now. Um, as the event, 
and kind of just kind of gives you the description. But if you want more, uh, if you're wanting to participate, then reach out to me because I don't have all that out there. All right. Once again, Darby, thank you so much for coming on. You do so much to bring these events and just make enjoyable opportunities for people. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Have a good day. You bet. Darby Shanks from Jackson Lake. You know, Parks puts on a lot of activities. I know we talk a lot of hunting and fishing on this show, but there's so much more. Take advantage of it. Get outdoors. It's so good for you. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about one of the ANS programs, the nuisance species or the uh, invasive species programs, and some of the things that have been happening there. All that more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Robert Walters. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Terry. It's, uh, you know, I'm in Minnesota. How's the weather there today? Oh, it is beautiful out there this morning. A little cool, a little moisture in the air. It's looking like a beautiful day here in the Denver area. You know, I, 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 my old stomping grounds is Minnesota, and Karen and I have spent quite a bit of time back here this summer, but I love Colorado. It's where I want to live. I just love the outdoors in Colorado, too. One of the things that's threatened all the waters, we see it out here a lot, are the uh, ANS, uh, invasive species or nuisance species, and Colorado has been fortunate. We've been able to protect our waters. That's not the case here in Minnesota, but we've really been fortunate because it can really impact our recreational access, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely it could. As you said, you know, Colorado thus far has been very successful and the waters of our state are completely free of particularly zebra and quagga mussels, which are the most costly invasive species that we have here in the United States. So we're very fortunate to be in the position that we are. Now, people by now are aware of the um, the boat inspections when you go to the lake with the inspectors and what they do. And then you, we're going to talk today about a pilot roadside program that you're doing also. But have you seen, like prior to COVID, during COVID and now, have you seen a change in the number of boats going through inspection? Um, so, you know... So far this year, we've recorded about 340,000 inspections, which of course is an incredible amount of inspections. But if we were to compare that to 2021, we're actually down about 15%. And even to look back to years such as 2019, we're down a little bit from where we were at the same time then. So at least for this year, boating has trended down a little bit compared to prior years. Still a lot of activity, but you know we saw that huge influx. I think people are starting to also realize they can go to football games and their kids' sports are going on and they're taking vacations. So maybe we're seeing a trend. Maybe it's more a normalization than a downward trend, which, you know, the waters can get crowded, but we've done such a good job of protecting them. People are familiar with that. But now you're working um, on a pilot program on roadside, kind of like maybe what Wyoming does. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, Before I get to that, Terry, I just want to mention that, you know, while our inspection numbers are down, we do continue to intercept an incredible amount of boats that have come into the state with zebra or quagga mussels on them. So far this year, we've intercepted 105 boats that have come into Colorado with tangible adult mussels on them. Of course, each one of those boats poses a significant biological risk to us. Uh, This kind of leads me to talking a little bit about the roadside program. You know, those 105 interceptions that we have this year, 80 
90% of those originated from Lake Powell, of course, an incredibly popular destination for recreational boaters here in Colorado. So back in 2021, our state legislature did pass House Bill 21-1226. That bill provided Parks and Wildlife the authority to implement a two-year pilot program where we are inspecting and, when necessary, decontaminating boats at the port of entries as boaters enter the state. As you said, this is a pretty common method of how boat inspections are performed in other states all across the West. Uh, Given that high percentage of mussel boats that we continue to see each year from Lake Powell, this year we really made the decision to focus the first year of this pilot program on the eastbound I-70 port of entry out there near Loma, Colorado. We've done this two times already this summer. We did a date back in in May and then another one in July in partnership with the Port of Entry staff, the Department of Transportation, and State Patrol. Uh, Traffic out there has been relatively slow. The water levels out there at PAL have not been the most conducive to boating, um, but that doesn't mean that we haven't been pretty effective in what we've been doing. Uh, We've inspected around 50 motorized boats out there over the course of two days, which isn't a ton, but I will say that eight of those 50 boats that we've inspected thus far have have had mussels on them. So our level of effectiveness out there in terms of catching these boats with mussels before they come into the state has been incredibly high. So what happens now? I want to talk about the process because you're going to have another one set up pretty soon. But what happens to a boat? Um, somebody comes in, you do an inspection at the port of entry. What What's the process for that boat? Is that a decontamination process? What do they go through? Uh, Yeah, so it's going to be very similar to what boaters are accustomed to out there at the boat ramp. Um, We're just going to go through and inspect the boat, assuming that the boat is clean, drained, and dry, and we don't have anything like mussels found on it. It's a very efficient process. Shouldn't set them back any more than five, ten minutes to be out there with us to get that inspection. Um, Of course, if we do find mussels on their boat, it is completely illegal to transport zebra or quagga mussels here in the state of Colorado. Um, So boaters would be subject to our full decontamination process to ensure their boat is free of these invasive species prior to being allowed to continue transporting their vessel. And when you say it's illegal, you're not looking to arrest them or anything. You're just looking to make sure the muscles get taken care of, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're really not out there trying to be enforcement any more than we have to. We are just trying to protect the natural resources here in the state. Um, Of course, the vast majority of boats that we're intercepting, you know, the boaters have no idea that these things may be out there on their boat. So that's not a place where we would take any sort of enforcement action. The only time that might come into play is if somebody, you know, really brought some boat that was clearly infested, you know, with tons and tons of muscles on it where the boater was evidently aware that they were actually possessing and transporting these species. And you want people to plan for this. So when is the next one coming up? Yeah, so the third and final pilot effort that we're going to be implementing out there at the Loma Port of Entry is going to be on Labor Day. That's Monday, September the 5th. We know this is going to be a pretty busy day and that we have a lot of Colorado residents and even people passing through Colorado I'm going to be out there on Labor Day. So we're just trying to give as much warning as possible to those that may be traveling that we're going to have this check station in place again on Labor Day um, so that people can plan ahead and be prepared for this inspection process. We're not trying to catch anybody off guard, set them back on their holiday travel plans. We want people to have as much warning as possible so that they can be prepared for these inspections. 
All right, my friend, the program has been successful. We don't want to lose access to any of our waters in Colorado. We have some really great places to fish and recreate and boat, and we want to make sure we keep it that way. Thanks for sharing this information, Robert. It's my pleasure, Terry. Thank you for the opportunity to share. You bet. Robert Walters, Parks and Wildlife. All right. We're going to take a time out, and now we're going to get back to some fishing tips. Austin Parr is going to join us. And then after that, Nate Zielinski and the folks from Jax and Chad, we have a lot of outdoor information to share with you on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jax Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones, and Austin Parr should be joining us. Are you there, Austin? I'm here, Terry. Thanks for having me. You bet. We're working without a net today. Our our boarder got sick, and Don Apodaca came in, and he's bailing us out. And and so we, we, we get to hear my open several times. Not his fault. It's the way they set the dumb computer up. But anyway, let's talk some fishing. Love to. All right. <laughs> Fight has oh, you been, know, been good as of late. It has. You know, and well, there's been some up and downs. It's been a different kind of year with the weather. I, I'm starting to say that every year. The weather's different than the year before. But we're heading into what can be some of the best fishing of the year. So what are you seeing? What's going on right now? So I've been guiding on Chatfield Reservoir pretty heavily over the last several weeks, really all year. But that, that lake is different than a lot of our other lakes as far as the small transition is concerned due to the fact that there are not a lot of shad in the lake. We've mentioned this before, but it really is an important factor when it comes to how the bite is progressing. Lakes like Cherry Creek and Pueblo all had a good shad hatch, but the water level got dropped right as those big gizzard shad were spawning up in the shallows. And when that happened, it really eliminated a lot of the hats, although there still are some that are around in areas. And up till this last week, the bait bite had been very productive. Fish were still fairly uh, concentrated. However, this last week, a lot of fish scattered pretty heavily. And uh, although you're not catching a lot in one spot, you're able to move around and catch quite a few. But they're not necessarily in the traditional spots. The roadbed has not been as good. Some of the big uh, humps and, and points out in front of the marina have not been quite as good. But shifting around, utilizing your electronics as well as fishing shallow with my typical blade baits and jigging wraps are finally starting to work. And with the lack of shad in the lake, I have been going to a lot of perch variety colors on my small blade baits. So there's been some new ones from jackal fishing that have come out. I call it keyburn blade that fished really well this last week. And then standard yellow perch jigging wraps in those same locations. Yeah, so it's been, it's been, uh, we're going to see that bite just get better and better, aren't we? Oh, yeah, it really should. And as things start to cool off, those fish are really going to start, as people say, put the feed bag on, and uh, that bite should be good. And, and then, you know, tra- transitioning over to, to Cherry Creek, the same type of thing is going to be working right now. However, there are a lot more shad in that lake, so I'm fishing structure points, hoping those fish are going to be moving through a little bit more than really looking for heavy pods on my grass. And that's been doing quite well in the morning, and then some trolling activity later in the day has also been productive. No, you're right. And the walleye bite in the metro area this year has been phenomenal. I don't, I'm, you know, I'm, you're talking to me. I'm up here in northern Minnesota. This is walleye country, but I don't know if people understand the quality of the walleye fishing we've had in Metro Denver this year that will continue into the fall. It's been just a phenomenal. I mean, for inside a, a highly populated metropolitan area. Um, what a treasure to have that. What have you been hearing in other parts of the state, different types of fishing? So anywhere that you're talking about as far as a shad-based lake is really doing the same type of 
of transition at the moment. So Pueblo is doing the same. Uh, the bass fishing has been pretty worthwhile down there, but working jigging spoons and some of those same jigging wraps vertical off of some of those initial structure points has been productive. There have been some wiper that have been around down there. Uh, I've been hearing of a few boils as well as folks doing well trolling with flicker shad, shad wraps, and Salma Hornet style shad oriented cranks. Those have been productive out in the open water areas, picking a few walleyes up as well. But this time of year is another one that I'm really starting to think about transition as we move up into the mountains also. Uh, the trout fishing is about to get really good. Uh, a lot of the high plains lakes, such as in North Park, have started to finally cool off a bit this year. Uh, during the water temps are in that middle of the daytime and that that low 60s mid 60s type range and that's definitely going to be decreasing as we continue to move into the fall and those bites are going to pick up in a huge way up there folks are already doing pretty well on gulp minnows and tube jigs as well as some trolling with tasmanian devils Uh, but those fish are going to start moving shallower as we continue to move into the fall time here yeah i think you're absolutely right you know i want to circle back just for a minute to we talked about the walleyes in uh, the metro area, but there's a good smallmouth bass population at Chatfield, too. There really is, and it's, it's an, in my opinion, an underrated fishery. There are a whole lot of small fish in that lake. The fish breathe incredibly well in there. But there are also some very high-quality fish that can push into that 18- or 19-inch range at times. And on the southern side of the lake, fishing for walleyes the other day, we did find quite a few bass that were in the shallow weed line transitions, and we were even able to sight fish to them on a calm morning. Uh, There is quite a a water clarity difference down there as you move toward the inlet. Uh, The further you go down south, the less clear it gets. And although you can certainly still catch fish in there, it definitely impeded my sight fishing. So I was transitioning and, and fishing a little bit further to the north and working wacky rig sankos, three-inch sankos down there, as well as ned rigs on the edges of those transitions on the drop-offs of the, the gravel pits next to the weeds. And I was finding fish, seeing fish, and casting them and, and, and catching them. So that was kind of a fun one, but somewhat challenging if there was not, uh, if there was any wind that was out there, although you still might pick some up casting on the edges blind. But the dam basin has also been very productive lately, and with the few shad that are in there, the fish have been doing fairly well on topwater lures. Walking baits have been better than poppers or plopper-style lures. But as that sun comes up, those same sankos on that dam face can be very productive. However, when you're letting those sink, sometimes those fish can gut it. So I certainly recommend anyone that's going out there, look up how to unhook a fish with a pair of hemostats through the gills. Uh, you can reach in, grab that hook, and twist it out easily without having to dig and, and mar that fish up. So if you're careful, that definitely is something to think about if you're fishing with those Ned Rigs or Senkos on that dam face. When you're throwing the Senkos, now a Ned Rig, you can look up. They've been a thing. They're a, what they are is a jig head that tries to stand up and get you a, a more of a vertical, horizontal, vertical presentation out of your plastic. But when you're throwing like a 3-inch Senko, are you – wacky rigging those or are you riggy texas rigging them to keep them weedless on the three inch variety due to how thin they are i'm usually running them on a very small hook for a texas rig the reason being is that you're keeping those senkos on a little bit better the o-rings on a wacky rig tool typically are a little bit too wide of a diameter to hold very well and if you just straight up hook those fish or those those three inch senkos wacky rig they fly off and those fish pull them off all the time 
If I bump to a four inch, usually I like a waxy rig a bit more because that band holds better. But overall, that three inch Senko with a number four extra wide gap worm hook has been the ticket. All right, let's transition one more time. Rivers, what are you hearing in the rivers across the state? So we'll start to be cooling off. Still quite a few of those uh, voluntary restrictions on some of our larger bodies of water, but we still have an opportunity here to fish some high elevation fishing. And a lot of those high elevation beaver ponds, those brook trout are going to start to think about spawning. And this time of year, you can really still get them well on dry flies with your big terrestrials, your hoppers on the, the droppers with uh, things like copper john or pheasant tail down below. Uh, those fish up on those beaver ponds are really going to be getting colorful. So that's going to be a, a nice one there. But then also Clear Creek is one I kind of want to mention here. Uh, the brown trout fishing has been very good down a little bit lower. I like up above Clear Creek Canyon a bit, but the same type of dry fly dropper presentation is going to be a very worthwhile choice in the pocket water. And then if you're looking for a larger body of water, the Arkansas has retained a cooler temperature all season long. And down by Salida, as well as Buena Vista, have been fishing quite well for some slightly larger brown trout. A few streamers have begun to work. But also, if you're not being able to get fish to rise to those hoppers, running a, a double nymph rig with, uh, we've been doing well on the on stone flies, like a Pat's rubber leg on front, uh, the lead fly, and then either trailing a caddis, a case caddis down there, or a PMD pattern, like a split case PMD, uh, all of which have been fishing very well. But that's one to really think about over the next few weeks. You know, you mentioned the brook trout. Is there anything more beautiful in nature than a male brook trout in the fall? Oh, my gosh. It's one of my favorites. And although they may be lacking in size at times in those beaver ponds, you can catch some of the, the prettiest fish that you can possibly think of in this region in those places. And it's truly the, the wood duck of the, the fish world in Colorado. They are spectacular. Yeah, they really are. Speaking of wood ducks and hunting, I'm going to... Um, are you going to try to get out and do some doves in the next week? Certainly be thinking about it. Um, we're going to be p- pushing out east there, and, and uh, there's a number of properties lost this year on the walk-in access, and there's a little bit less access than in years past from what it appears. Uh, so we'll be trying some new stuff, I think. But uh, with these warm temperatures, the dove hunting should be very good. Yeah, I'm, I'm anticipating a really good dove season. The ammunition manufacturers will do well. But <laughs> oh, if we can find it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, but dove season starting. I also like dove is a great way to get youngsters into the shotgun sports. It's just a really good way to have them, you know, learn to shoot without having to do a lot of walking. And you can use uh, maybe a 20 gauge or something and cut down the recoil a little bit. Absolutely. Evening hunts are very good over water or in a uh, tree belt and lots of shooting and warm conditions. So taking young kids out is definitely something to do when you're talking about dove hunting. All right, my friend, if people want more information, how do they get a hold of you? I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Tampa. All right, we will talk to you again soon. Have a good rest of the weekend. All right, that was Austin Park. So we're going to take a quick time out here. When we come back, Nate Zielinski will join us on Terry Wisham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.